Hello, and welcome to the Empowerography Podcast. This is a platform created for women's voices to be heard and a place to share their stories, journeys, and successes with the world for the purpose of helping other women who might be on similar journeys. We are empowering women one episode at a time. I'm your host, Brad Walsh, so kick back, grab one of your favorite beverages, and enjoy the stories. If you're looking for jewelry that makes an impact on your self-care routine and your style, Empowerography would love to offer you a discount code to one of our exclusive partners, Quartz and Canary Jewelry and Wellness Company. Please use code EMPOWER15 to receive 15% off upon checkout at www.quartzandcanary.com. Quartz and Canary is truly the place where spirituality meets style. Hello there, Brad Walsh here, your host of the Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest is Kara Golden. She is an author and the founder of Hint Incorporated. How are you doing today, Kara? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy day to be here today and share a bit about your story and your journey with us. I appreciate you taking the time and I appreciate you. Thank you. So Kara, as mentioned, you're an author. You are the founder of Hint Incorporated. You are a podcast host and a serial entrepreneur. How do you prioritize and find time to fit all of this in? And how important as a serial entrepreneur is prioritization and organization to you on a personal level? Well, I think first of all, it starts with doing what you love. You can always find time for doing what you love doing. And that really is part of all of that. I mean, everything from starting a company to starting a podcast and also then writing a book. And I think it was sort of this natural progression. I didn't sit there, for example, when I was writing the book thinking, okay, I want to be an author. There are some people who have that on their bucket list. It was never on my bucket list, but I felt that I could really accomplish was I could help a lot of people just by getting my story out there. And Mm -hmm. by getting my story out there, I felt like there were so many lessons that I had learned over the years and I was lucky enough to be able to be invited to speak at a lot of conferences inside of companies. And I felt like there's a lot of people that are out there that maybe don't go to conferences or maybe aren't inside the companies that hire me to come in and and speak. And if I could actually write a lot of these questions out and sort of share the, the stories of why I believe what I believe, then that would actually help me to help a lot of people. And yeah. that, that's really where it came from. And, you know, I think everything else, you know, it's funny just thinking about that question in particular, because I think when you do something that helps people and probably my first kind of aha moment was in starting a company that I felt like was really going to have impact was helping people to understand how much sweet was in most drinks. So right. not sugar, but also diet sweeteners. And when I figured that out, a little over 17 years ago, I thought I should produce a product that tastes really good that doesn't have sweeteners in it. And if I could do that, then I could actually help people to live a healthier life. And that for me was kind of the beginning of really thinking about if you can actually do something that has purpose, that has meaning, whether that's a podcast or write a book or start a company that is really going to help people in some way, 
that that is it's pretty great that's it i mean isn't that really when it all boil when you boil it all down in life having impact that and, and giving back and serving people and giving back to people that's the purpose of of why we're here i think whether like you said whether it be writing a book or hosting a podcast or creating a product or a company that's what it's all about so being able to have that impact it's just it's an incredible feeling to be able to do that, first of all. Totally. And, you know, it's not to say that the roles that I had before Hint weren't fun and awesome and, and yeah. in some way, but I think it's any person that has ever done something to help people, there's this appreciation that goes along with it, that for just the act of doing kindness, doing good, right, that yeah. makes you feel good, human, and whether that's, you know, volunteering for something or, yeah. or just helping people to learn something. And so many people have asked me, you know, what do you think you would do if you weren't doing hints? And I've thought a lot about it. It has to be something where I was helping people in some way. And yeah, that's the I've gotten. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, have you come to any resolutions? What would you be doing? No, just <laughs> helping people. That's it. Because yeah. I think that's the most important thing for me now is doing something that really has impact. So what were you doing for work then before making the jump into entrepreneurship? As you mentioned, you said, it's not that your jobs previously weren't fun or you didn't enjoy them, but what, what kind of work were you doing before starting um, Hint Incorporated? So I was in tech before okay. starting Hint. I ran a company called America Online, I ran their direct-to-consumer partnerships for shopping. And I was there in the very early days of AOL. And I remember AOL. <laughs> yeah, and very, very early days. In fact, you know, didn't even have a budget for or revenue goals for what we were doing because nobody really thought shopping in 1996-ish was... <laughs> Happening, but I was actually, I came in through an acquisition that was a little startup in just outside of San Francisco. It was my first kind of little startup first when I just moved to Silicon Valley. And it's interesting. It's a little known Steve Jobs idea that was incubated inside of Apple. It was a company called Two Market. It was called Enpassant inside okay. of Apple. And when I moved to San Francisco from New York, that's when I really, I didn't know anybody except for my fiance. And we both had been living in New York and we moved out to San Francisco and he was busy working as a first year associate in a law firm. And I thought I've got to figure out what I'm going to do. I had been actually at CNN when I was in New York, but I thought there's this guy, Steve Jobs, that I'm just so impressed with that I was lucky enough to have one of his original iMacs in, when I was in college. And I thought that's the person that I really associate San Francisco and Silicon Valley with is Steve yeah. Jobs. I couldn't figure out how to get a job at Apple. Plus, I figured out that the Cupertino headquarters it was quite a distance from San Francisco, and I wasn't so keen on doing that commute every day. So, <laughs> but I stumbled upon this little startup, and they were five guys, not in a garage, in a small office in San Mateo that had worked for Steve and had spun it out of Apple and and 
So I, I just cold called one of them and I said, Hey, this seems like a really cool product. And I just moved from New York to San Francisco and I don't know anything about CD-ROMs or discs or any of that world. When I was in New York, I was doing sales and business development for a company called CNN. And I remember I was so excited to, you know, hopefully meet Steve Jobs, right? I thought, oh, maybe he's around somewhere. He wasn't. He was (laughs) gone from, or wasn't, you know, ducking his head in at, at all. But I felt like the minute that I said CNN, here was an East Coast versus West Coast yeah. uh, kind of aha moment that they said, oh, wow, like you work for CNN, you were working for Ted Turner and not directly, but I thought, yeah, you know, and I think that having that experience of working for a visionary entrepreneur multiple times, you know, at CNN, working for Ted Turner, at, mm-hmm. inside of this company, not directly working for Steve Jobs, but working for people who had worked with Steve Jobs. Yeah. And of course, Steve Case at America Online really gave me the courage to be able to go start my own thing. And I think that that's the thing that so many people fear going and starting their own company, being an entrepreneur, doing a startup, right? They don't even know where to start, but just kind of living in that world for over 10 years, I felt like I had enough confidence to know that if you don't try, then you'll never be able to do it. And I could always go back to working for other people, but I thought, I think it's time. I think I should just go do this. So what was that transition like for you then from corporate to being your own boss, getting out there into the world? How, how did you, how did you take that transition? So my first job actually out of college was at Time Magazine, and that was probably the most corporate job that I've ever worked at. Yeah. learned a lot of amazing things. In fact, I often tell people that, you know, part of what we've done at at Hint is that's really unique in the beverage industry is almost 40% of the business is direct to consumer. And when I got my first job at Time Magazine, that's when I was working in uh, the circulation department. And the thing that I learned in circulation uh, that sort of equates to the world today, the closest thing to today is direct to consumer because it's about subscriptions. It's about, you know, how do you get people to subscribe? What is the language? How do you get long-term value, lifetime value, all of those kind of things out of this consumer? And I had worked there for a couple of years, then had gone to my first startup. I didn't even think of it as a startup. It's interesting because in the early 90s, when you know you were recruited, it was so many people hadn't heard of CNN. It's crazy to think of that today, right? That CNN is kind of a household name. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was a late stage startup and it was significantly different than what I had experienced at time. Again, a hundred year old company, very established. And suddenly, you know, there's a guy running around, Ted Turner, in his suit and cowboy boots. I grew up in Arizona where I had never seen a person in a suit and cowboy boots ever (laughs) until I saw Ted Turner running around. But again, I think that was really, you know, the first experience of, of seeing 
kind of these different cultural shifts. And today I would term CNN when I was there as a late stage startup. So it wasn't as small as my next one, which when I moved out to Silicon Valley, which was five guys in an office, significantly yeah. different. But again, I think what I learned from all of these different companies is that I loved the mindset and kind of the building mentality that went on inside of each of these companies, different stages. When I got to AOL, for example, we were part of an acquisition. So how do you fit into someone else's culture, yeah. right? I had never done that before. And so I've seen a lot of different things. I think for me, what I realized in all of them was that my favorite piece was really working on new and kind of crafting a plan that really tested a model that nobody was really sure whether or not it was going to work or not. You know, talk about entrepreneurism today as building a puzzle. Yeah. And how, but the only sort of caveat there is that you don't get the picture of the puzzle ahead of time. Yeah. <laughs> You're building it blindly. Right. And I think that that's the thing. I mean, I guess there are entrepreneurs that go and take another company and try and mimic what they've done. That is one kind of entrepreneur. I've always been the entrepreneur that has wanted to start something from scratch and yeah. build it. So I guess that in answer, a long-winded answer to your question that <laughs> I was used to it, I think for me, it was more about the size of the company and yeah. the stage of the company and what they were trying to do. But the build for me still to this day is what I love doing. Right. So as the founder of Hint, how long ago did you start Hint? And can you tell us a bit about Hint Incorporated? Sure. Uh, so 2005, uh, okay. actually got my first product on the shelf, which is our water. It's an right. unsweetened flavored water. And so I was shocked. Again, I had you know been in tech prior to this. I was shocked when I had taken a couple of years off to be a mom and and spend some time with my very young kids. At the time when I left AOL, I was pregnant with my third. I had two children. And uh, so when I started Hint, I had four kids under the age of six. Wow. Um, yeah, so it was pretty crazy. Um, <laughs> I think it was during that time that I really started looking at ingredients in not just drinks, but also in food. Yeah. And primarily for my young kids. And one day I was, I was really focused on them and not so focused on myself and what I was putting in my own body. And one day I was drinking my diet soda, diet Coke in particular, and realizing all of the ingredients that I was putting in me. And I thought, I don't even know what these things are. I mean, yeah. it's crazy. And I had been doing it for years on autopilot, not really thinking that it was bad for me. And it, it's, it's interesting because I, I had this aha moment when I thought, why would I do that? Yet there's other, you know, there's food that I eat that I'm much more conscious about. And that's when I thought, you know, it's kind of the thing that's sort of getting in the way of me being able to, or me really pursuing this idea of reading ingredients in this drink, diet soda, was the word diet. And I thought it's kind of this healthy perception world that existed out there versus healthy reality. And yeah. I 
I remember getting in the car after I'd had this moment thinking, I wonder if there's something a little more pure out there. This new store had opened called Whole Foods and I figured it was going to be the perfect place to go find something that just didn't have as many ingredients in it that I didn't understand. And I couldn't find it. So I thought, okay, well, I'm going to start making water with just fruit in it, slice up a bunch of fruit yeah, and see if I feel better, see, you know, what else happens. I had some weight on me that I'd gained through all my pregnancies that I really thought I'd love to get off, but I'd frankly given up because I didn't know how to get the weight off. And I had also developed terrible adult acne that I didn't even have as a teenager. And when I switched from Diet Coke to drinking this water sliced with fruit concoction that I was making in my kitchen, that's when I lost over 24 pounds in weeks. My skin cleared up. And I thought, this is just crazy. I mean, not only was I thrilled that I finally figured out, you know, this, I had figured out the, the pot of gold. Right. But also I thought there's so many people out there that have no idea about this and they're going and shopping at places that like Costco or whole foods and, and picking up products that they think are healthier than maybe they are. And I thought, how hard could it be to get a product on the shelf that really is good for you, that could make people healthier? I had never worked, obviously, in the food and beverage industry, but I I remember thinking, these are big industries, right? The soda industry is a huge industry. The segment of the category of diet soda is huge, but also just the diet industry. How many people were buying into, you know, being on a diet and didn't really know for sure whether or not it was going to work. If they just could make one tiny little change in their life, like finding a drink that didn't have these sweeteners, maybe they could actually figure something out and know that they could, right? Give them hope versus where I had just come from and giving up. So that was really the the beginnings of, of Hint. And when I got it on the shelf at Whole Foods, I was pregnant actually with my fourth child when I got it on the shelf at Whole Foods and then went and delivered my fourth child. It's a story you'll read about in my book that a lot of people have chuckled over. And today, Hint is a quarter of a billion dollar company across the U.S. As I mentioned earlier, we have a huge direct-to-consumer business and uh, lots of consumers who are very excited to be drinking a product like Hint that is just water that tastes better. Yeah, I love it. So Kara, with you being a serial entrepreneur, have has that entrepreneurial bug always been there within you? And if so, where do, where do you think that comes from? So I think, you know, it's always easier to look back in time and, and see stories where you showed promise of being an <laughs> entrepreneur, I guess, or doing something else. And I was definitely doing things like starting my own kids camp at age 12 or <laughs> uh, you know, doing uh, always making up something to to uh, more than anything, make money along the way as a teenager. I was the last of five kids. And I feel like, again, another thing that 
you connect the dots about that. I have brother and sister that are 14 and 15 years older than me. So I used to watch them have a lot more money than I did to be able to go to the mall and have fun. And, yeah. and so I was always trying to figure out little businesses that I could start. But my my dad was also kind of an entrepreneur. He was, okay. uh, I talk about him as a frustrated entrepreneur. He worked inside of a large company, initially Armor Food Company, which was acquired by a company called ConAgra. And at Armor Food Company, he had started a brand that is still alive today called Healthy Choice. And he was, you know, was incredibly loyal and wanting to do the right thing. He actually hated Stouffer's TV dinners, he <laughs> those, but he thought that they were, uh, at least back then, were somewhat questionable what was going on there. <laughs> and so he, uh, and my mom had just gone back to work. And right. so that was kind of the story behind the brand that he really wanted to create something that was edible and that tasted better. And it's interesting. He also did some of the original storytelling on packages when it's funny, if you think back on brands, how they've evolved from, you know, back when I was a kid to today, nobody wanted to really do storytelling because the perception was that it made you look small, like a right. mom pop right? You don't talk about it that way because you want to be bigger than you yeah. are. And my dad always believed that the stories of the people that were supplying the shrimp, for example, were interesting. And that's why he decided to work with them. And I remember him, you know, he'd have story after story about how they got up at four o'clock in the morning and, and, to get the best fish. And it was off the coast of St. Simon's Island, Georgia. And I mean, believe me, being a kid, I could sit there and recite. I get it, dad. I know. <laughs> they, and they don't have breakfast with their kids because they really, <laughs> you know, I, I can hear them still talking about it. Yeah. But, but again, like that kind of messaging that I would hear from him and, and kind of the sort of entrepreneurial spirit combined with my mom, as I mentioned, decided to go back to work. She had been a stay-at-home mom when, you know, raising all five kids and then had decided actually to totally switch gears when I was in kindergarten and go back to work full-time and totally change careers, which I think back on now, how brave that must've been. I was going to say, that's incredibly brave. Yeah. I mean, you know, in and of itself, I think the fact that she was born in the Midwest and in Minneapolis and went to University of Minnesota and she'd be in her early 90s today, it just wasn't done. Yeah, of course. Very few women who were going to college and especially during the time of the, you know, mid 1940s, it just really wasn't the time, but she was an art history major, loved art, and taught art for many years too. And then ended up when we were all kind of, I guess, in diapers, out of diapers, she just decided, you know what, now you're going to kindergarten, I'm going to go and do what I really want to do, which was fashion. (laughs) So she totally switched gears, which again, I think 
the impact of, of seeing that as well, coupled with my dad, I think was pretty great to be able to see what they had done and, and what I could potentially do. Great role models for sure. What drives and motivates and inspires you to keep going and to keep pushing and excelling at all that you do, Kara? You know, I, I think it's the consumer. I I think that getting those notes from consumers, having that connection with the consumers to say that you're doing the right thing. And again, something I talked about earlier, if you can actually help people to achieve something that they thought was impossible, or maybe they didn't even think about it, maybe they had gained weight and they just had no idea how to sort of fix the problem. They didn't even associate weight you know, maybe with something that was something that they were eating or drinking and having a challenging time with metabolizing the sweet that was going into their system. And like I, I had been, if you can actually solve a problem, you're not a doctor, you're not a nutritionist, you weren't asked to do this, but you, you are only giving them water, you know, that is a little more than a buck a bottle. And suddenly they know that they can. I mean, that's a really powerful position to be in. For sure. And and I think to be able to go back and, you know, look back on those notes for the last 17 years and still to this day, you know, they keep coming. And I think that's a really powerful thing. Now, I I think it's, it's even gone beyond the product that we created. We not only created a water product, but eventually broke out and created a deodorant and sunscreen and some other things in different categories that I had an idea maybe could be a little healthier and better for people. But in addition to that, since coming out with my book, I feel like it's actually helping people through stories to be able to know that they can go and do something that maybe they didn't even know they wanted to be an entrepreneur. Maybe they always imagined that because they had kids, young kids, they couldn't go start a company. They could, you know, I talk a lot about it's okay to go slower, right? It takes you longer to do something, but if it's something that you're really curious about and really passionate about, and you are interested in it, I mean, I think that's doing good for your mind, right? That, that that you feel like, life is worth living. And I think that to me too, is something that if I can inspire people to just stay curious and go and do something that maybe everyone else thinks is impossible. People doubt you, you kind of doubt yourself too, but know that, you know, some crazy lady Kara can go do it. So maybe (laughs) I can too. Crazy lady Kara. That's fine with me. The art of storytelling, it's its a long lost art. And I think we need to bring it back. Yeah, I totally agree. It's definitely something that I think many people don't realize is how people today connect with brands. And yeah, you and I were talking even before we started, you know, there's so many people. I mean, Richard Branson, for example, yeah. I mean, starting even Virgin America. I mean, I remember in Virgin group as as a whole. I mean, I think there's this trust and connection with people and built not just because they try and be an influencer, but what are they known for? And there's a trust that develops with those people too. And that's why I think if a trust is broken with certain people too, it's a very dangerous situation, right? Where we examples of that as well. But 
I think my dad would really appreciate that today, how many people are great storytellers and how people are attached to the brand. Cause I think at the end of the day, people buy from people. I was just going to say that Kara. I was just speaking with someone earlier this morning about this and it is, that's exactly it. People buy from people. If you have a face that's synonymous with a brand and you trust that face, you're going to buy and you're buying from that person. Absolutely. And that's it. That makes it more relatable for people and more authentic. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's, it's something that I think a lot of large companies today really are struggling with it. Yeah, they're right? missing the mark on that. They're missing the mark. I think that they know that they should, but an example of large soda companies, for example, they're old, right? And yeah. the founder of those companies is dead. Or when they founded it, maybe it was based on a you know totally different concept. Yeah. Maybe it's a concept that nobody really wants to talk about anymore. I mean, in yeah. the case of Coca-Cola, I mean, it was a pharmaceutical company. Yeah. And, and so- I think it's something that is definitely, I think it's, it's a good thing. And it, it's definitely a way for entrepreneurs to differentiate yourself too, from for some sure. of the large companies that they are really challenged by it. And kind of the, I think that the way they've tried to be more relevant and get connections with consumers is to buy influence. So you see, you know, musicians, celebrities, right. Who yeah. are bought into drinking those products, sports figures. Unfortunately, I think that that has turned into a situation where it's so obvious, right? It's yes. not authentic. And I think that consumers also just don't really want to buy into that because they've lost the trust. I think in many cases, they'll see athletes, for example, that they can't imagine that that athlete is drinking or eating something yeah. <laughs> on a regular basis. Yeah. And I'll tell you firsthand that they're not. So it's a, it's an, it's just a payday for them. That's it. Yeah. It's a payday. And I remember years ago when one basketball player, very well-known basketball player reached out to me and said, gosh, hint is exactly what I drink every single day. I would you know, love to work with you. And I did a quick search and he had a relationship with a Pepsi product and <laughs> said, you know, I don't think we can really do anything together because yeah. uh, you've got conflict over here. And he said, you've got to see the closet where I have all this stuff like sitting here and I never drink it. In fact, I give it away and I wish I could give it away faster because I never drink it. And they paid <laughs> so much money and I mean, it's just, and we've heard that story over yeah. and over again. And I think, frankly, a lot of these uh, influencer programs have kind of dried up for a lot of companies because they get it. And, yeah. you know, they can't force people to drink the product. They can force them not to have a relationship with good and healthy product. But more than anything, I think it's, it really speaks to this consumer and what they pay attention to and yeah, the consumer has definitely gotten wiser over the years, for sure. Totally. So I'd love to talk a little bit about your book. So you wrote your first book, Undaunted, Overcoming Doubts and Doubters, which is a WSJ and Amazon bestseller. Can you tell us a bit about the book, when it was released, and where where people can purchase it? Sure. It's called Undaunted, and uh, Undaunted, Overcoming Doubts and Doubters. I wrote the book, as I mentioned before, because I really wanted to help people not only 
learn through my own mishaps and challenges, but also my really let them know that you can do it if you set your mind to it. I think so often people allow walls and roadblocks to kind of get in their own way. And I believe that it starts with you and ends with you. You can hear a lot of noise. People can tell you, oh, you, you know, you're never going to be able to build a beverage company if since you don't have experience, right? That sounds correct. Did you um, hear a lot of that when you were starting? Sorry to go off track there, but that just prompted no. that question. Do you hear a lot of that when you were building Hint? Oh, yeah. I yeah. mean, quite a bit. And again, here I had built something in the tech industry that was hard, but that didn't give me credibility to go and do this. I think in a lot of people's minds, at least people that I cared about what their opinion was. I mean, first of all, I always tell people that friends and family are the worst because <laughs> they'll never tell you to go and take a chance. They don't want you to take a risk. I mean, they want you to, you know, do play it the safe way, right? Play it they, small, they, play it safe. Totally. And I think that when you hear these people that you love, you care about their opinion, telling you that you can't do something, maybe they don't say you can't do something. They're like, ah, you should probably do something else. Why aren't you staying in tech? Why, like, why wouldn't you do that? I think there, there was that set of people. And then of course, your own doubts. I mean, that's yeah. another sort of misconception is that successful people never doubt themselves. They're fearless risk takers. I, I challenge that statement a lot. I've met a lot of very successful people. We've, you can read about a lot of people who have had success, but, you know, they were sort of fighting their own demons of, of trying to figure out, can they really do something? And did they yeah. have failures? And I always talk about, you know, vitamin water in, in my industry, vitamin water, when Hint came on the scene was a super hot company. I mean, it was like exploding. Everybody was talking about it. And I learned not too long after starting Hint that the uh, founder had had a bankruptcy. I mean, close to having another one. I mean, it was over this company. They had been around for 12 years prior to even anyone that I knew even hearing about it. And I think that that's the thing. Like you may not know all of the challenges that an yeah. individual or a brand goes through by the time you actually hear about it. But I think for me, it was you know, it was the combination of people that I cared about myself, and then also the industry people who really had believed that if I hadn't worked for Coke or Pepsi or some big company, there was no way that I was going to be able to, you know, kind of make this thing happen. And one of the things that I talk about in the book is it's actually very rare. It's, it's possible, but it's actually very rare that an entrepreneur comes out of a large company because you're sort of trained to think about things a certain way and sort of move in an organized way. And I think that the best entrepreneurs are really the people that are going to challenge the status quo. Yeah, and go for try sure. things that they're not sure they're going to work or not. They're willing to take the risk. And I think that, you know, that's sort of proven in, in our story. And again, Hint today is a quarter of a billion dollars. It's the largest privately held non-alcoholic beverage in the U.S. today that doesn't have a relationship with Coke, Pepsi, or Dr. Pepper Snapple. Oh. So again, it doesn't matter what industry you're in. You don't have to be a beverage or food executive, I think, to appreciate this book. I think the other thing you know that is pretty unique about our story, too, is that it wasn't 
just about starting a company and coming from somebody who had been in another industry, but we started an entirely new category, which was called unsweetened flavored water. And again, if you look at any industry where you've started something totally new, I used to think like you had to be really quiet when you were talking about your idea, right? I think there's still entrepreneurs who think, oh, I'm not going to share my idea. You know, somebody will rip me somebody off. Somebody will steal it. Yeah. Right, steal <laughs> it. And, you know, I talk a lot about it's the execution. It's about yeah. being able to stay alive, you know, build the right team, you know, raise the right kind of capital. All of those things are super, super important. But in addition, if you are the only one and you don't have competition, people don't think that the category is relevant, right? Because they're like, well, I don't know who, no one else is doing this. So, I mean, we'll just wait and see. Yeah. Yeah. And so competition is actually a good thing. For sure. I mean, people can really get sucked down that rabbit hole of the competition mindset where it. And again, as you mentioned earlier, everything starts with self, right? You have to you have to believe in yourself. You have to do the self work and so on. But getting dragged down into that competition mindset and overcoming your own noise, because yes, as you mentioned as well, you, we have the external noise of other people say, well, should you really be doing that? And I don't know if that's such a good idea, but I think what's worse is the internal noise that we have to deal with our own mindset, getting over those hurdles, our own negative self-talk. And that plays right into that, that mindset of that whole thing where you can defeat yourself before you even get started. Absolutely. And look, I, I think also being a founder, the other thing that I never realized is that, you know, it, it's kind of this, this, fake it till you make it mentality too, right? You, you know, that you've got to, you've got to sort of keep smiling every day and keep pushing forward, but then you'll get a call from uh, Starbucks and get kicked out, right? Yeah. Bad day, right. You're thinking, yeah. oh my God, what, you know, what just happened to me? And that's a true story of, uh, for a hint. And yeah. You know, and again, dealing with the positive Making progress along the way, I think obviously is a big indication for a company, whether or not you're going to make it or not. But when you've got setbacks along the way, you've got to remember that you've got to wake up. You've got to keep pushing forward. It's a lesson of don't put all your eggs in one bath, because if you do have a situation like that, where it heads south, you know, you can think about this from Maybe it's a supplier. Maybe it's an employee, right? Yep. You put all your eggs in one basket. Yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden they walk away and you're like, oh my God, what, what's going to happen? I mean, it's this whole idea of diversifying and having choices, right? And, mm -hmm. and I think that there's a lot of stories like that in my book too, that, you know, you can't control a lot of things, but what you can control is to have options. Yeah, for sure. I mean, setbacks are inevitable. It's going to happen. And it's just, it reminds me of one thing my dad always told me, what's meant for you will not go by you. So if something happens like that, it happened for a reason. It's, it's the end of that path and it's time to start going on a new path. And maybe that one will be more fruitful or more beneficial or better for you. It's just that journey, that part of the journey ran its course. That's all. Absolutely. It's hard to take that outlook, though, when it's something as big as that, like having your beverage removed from a company like Starbucks, that's huge. But if you can get your head around it and get into that mindset where, okay, 
yes, it's horrible. And yes, it, you, you live, you experience the emotions of it, but don't live there. Don't stay in it. Don't stay stuck in that. Just look at it, take it as a lesson and keep going, keep pushing forward. Yeah. And I think it's also looking back to sometimes you can't really see what the lessons are. True. At the True. And you have to, you know, really reflect and, yeah. and time to reflect. And part of what I find too, in sharing my stories, not just in my book, but also on social media is, is really being able to kind of think back on what were the lessons. Yeah. And, and again, I think also having an engagement with consumers where sometimes consumers will actually tell me, oh, I hear that's a lesson about X. Right. And and so you're constantly reflecting on just different aspects of things that maybe you didn't know you learned, but you did. Sure, You can always, I mean, life is all about learning and there are going to be people out there who will bestow that wisdom onto you and maybe think of things in a way that you didn't think of them or look at things in a way you didn't look at them. That's, that's part of life is learning. Absolutely. Kara, as previously mentioned, you're a podcast host. Can you tell us a bit about your podcast, the title, subject matter? Is it interview style or solo or maybe a mix of both? And what inspired you to start a podcast? Yeah, so it started actually on, uh, they were video interviews on, I think it started on LinkedIn. I mean, it was, gosh, almost five years ago now, four or five years. And I was doing it because I, I felt like I was able to have a lot of conversations with a number of different C-suite executives, as well as founders. And every time there would be these amazing lessons that I would hear from these people. And I thought, I wonder if I could start videotaping some of these interviews and or conversations I was having with people. Of course, I would ask people this. I said, you know, I'd more than anything, I started using them for my team and kind of sharing with people what they had learned. People like Leslie Blodgett, who had built Bare Essentials and just many other founders along the way where, you know, they just talk about their journey. And over time, I guess about three years ago, three and a half years ago, I started turning it into a podcast. And so now we're every Monday and Wednesday, we're, I think we're going to be moving three days a week now because the podcast is doing super well. It's called the Kara Golden Show and it's on Apple, Spotify. And, you know, it's not really my story there. It's everyone else's stories and the lessons learned. So I really look to find people who are operators and who have experienced stuff along the way that they didn't know if they were going to be able to get through. I recently interviewed Jeff Immelt. I actually went back and listened to his interview recently. He was the CEO of GE and uh, came right after Jack Welsh, which I tease him on the podcast saying I was a huge (laughs) Jack Welsh fan for years. And, you know, how do you follow Jack Welsh? (laughs) And then he started, actually, it's a great interview. Actually, he was the new CEO four days before 9-11. Wow. And yeah, just crazy. I mean, he's sort of, and for those of you who don't know what GE owned at that time, but they were in the airplane business, the media business, you know, the finance business, the electricity business. I mean, they were in what timing. Holy bro. I mean, it was crazy. And, you know, Jack Welsh was, uh, 
he was excited about being in all these different businesses. But uh, when when you come in, when you're the successor and trying to figure out all these businesses, and then coupled with the fact that you're in a situation, particularly in the U.S., where you are, uh, you know, a huge crisis first week of managing, and and it was a uh, you know, really pretty interesting. So again, interviewing people who I really focus on CEOs and founders of companies and people who have have built great things across multiple industries. Amazing. I want to speak a little bit about women in entrepreneurship, you being a woman and a serial entrepreneur. I have a corporate background. I come from a corporate background. And I mean, even now, I think that whole mindset and mentality of the old boys club of the 1940s, where women still don't get equal pay for doing the same job as their male counterparts. And we don't see enough women in C-suite level positions in some of these huge corporations. I mean, it's appalling that we're still dealing with this mentality and this way of thinking. But I I have to say that I personally since I've started my journey into women's empowerment and the podcast, I've seen a shift in mindset with a lot more women. What are your thoughts on the landscape of entrepreneurship and women run businesses with what you've seen in your experiences? You know, I think it's interesting. I, I never really thought about when I first started hint, it wasn't about becoming an entrepreneur or becoming a female entrepreneur. For me, it was really around how do I solve a problem, right? right. For, for the consumer. And it wasn't until I was out trying to raise money that I saw this real, you know, divide. I remember going down to Silicon Valley, the Sand Hill Road, and some of these people who knew me from the tech industry had tried some hint inside of Google offices where we've had Google or we've had product inside of Google since kind of day one. And I remember hearing a very prominent VC say to me, hey, you know, don't you have four kids? Like, how how are you starting a company? Like, who's watching the kids right now? And I thought, oh, that's just absolutely crazy. And of course, I was so caught off guard by somebody asking yeah. me that. And I thought, would he ever ask? you know, my husband, my husband was actually parking the car at the time and came in and he never said, Hey, I hear you have four kids. And it's just a unique situation where I I think oftentimes people don't even hear themselves, right? They don't even know they're asking something and how it's like, they don't have the EQ to sort of know that, but I don't know. Like I, I think over time, what I've seen happen is that so many female entrepreneurs are you know, they have great ideas, they're starting companies, they kind of run into this place where they get caught up in this topic of there isn't enough people to fund female founders. And I I always encourage people, women to, you know, if you're going to pay attention to that, then you're not going to be able to get the funding, right? right? You get caught up. It's like the conversation about listening to your friends and family about starting a company. It's the exact same thing. It's just, you can't get stuck there because if you get stuck there, you won't be able to accomplish what you're thinking that you're going to go do. And you don't believe in yourself and you don't believe that you can actually go raise money, then you won't be able to raise it. And so instead, I always encourage any entrepreneur, not just women to go and focus on where else can you go? 
as yeah. my dad used to say, you know, what else can you do? And just keep thinking about what else can you do until you figure out how to do it. And I think that that's the most important piece. But, you know, clearly in, in today's day and age with, especially with COVID over the last couple of years too, and people working from home and, and kind of seeing this moment of trying to figure out what's important to them and what they want to do with their life and so many other options around, you know, working remotely as well and not having to go into an office. I think people are starting to see, well, maybe there are things that I've been thinking about that I should just go start. And, you know, we're part of a society that nothing will change if we don't support entrepreneurism, whether it's for ourselves or supporting entrepreneur. Entrepreneurs and founders are the creators for change. And for if sure. you want to live in a static world, then don't support entrepreneurism. I mean, that's reality because yeah. change doesn't happen you've worked inside of large companies change doesn't happen inside of large companies no different reasons and so we have to be able to go and try that crazy idea and whether it's you know with us or or like i said go work for somebody who's got a crazy idea that may or may not work and <laughs> and um and i think more than anything just finding what you love and what you believe in and and that's what life is about really is finding those things that are interesting to you they may not be interesting to your spouse or or to your kids or to your friends and I think instead, finding that interest, finding a place where you believe you can add value is is really what it's all about today. 100%. I think you hit the nail on the head. That's what it's all about is finding what lights you up, what excites you, what sets your soul on fire. I mean, there are so many people out there in the world who never do find that thing that sets their soul on fire or lights their like starts that fire in their belly and they go through life working five days a week and living for those two days the weekend and then it starts all over again it's cyclical and and we've all done it at some point but i think that's such a sad existence to live that way and to not figure out what the hell it is that lights you up put the time in to yourself invest in yourself and figure it out life is short absolutely and that's that's really something i think more and more people should think about too is is that if you only have a set amount of time that you're working right yeah. and, and i mean why not do something that you're curious about yeah and, you know as i used the analogy before about building a puzzle i mean that whether you like doing puzzles or not i think being an entrepreneur and going and starting something is really about figuring out that puzzle and yeah. I mean, it's exciting and it's it's even more exciting when you didn't know it was going to work and it does. yeah Right? That's like a very invigorating feeling. And it's something that I think the happiest and most you know successful people today are people that have really gone and tried something that they weren't sure was going to work or not. Uh -huh. And most of them have some failures along the way and some challenges, but that's I think how we learn though. 100% that's how we learn. And I mean, don't get me wrong. There are people out there who love doing it, going to work and doing the nine to five. And that's great. Hey, if that's what sets your soul on fire, beautiful, because entrepreneurship really isn't for everybody. I think you have to be a certain type of person to do it. But 
find what it is that lights you up. That's, I don't know. I just, I think about that often and how sad that is that people just go to work every day, hating what they do, hating getting up in the morning, going to that job, staying there eight. I mean, 40 hours a week, that's a lot of time you're spending. So why not spend it doing something you're excited about, you enjoy? Absolutely. And I think that that's such an important thing for everybody to remember. Absolutely. Kara, what do you think your unique skill set or superpower is that's helped you become successful? You know, I think tenacity and curiosity would probably be right up there. But I think also this ability to be okay with it might not work. I think it really is a superpower because I think so often if you start with that mindset, that will allow you to go and do things that you didn't know you could do, right? Which ultimately is that superpower. But I think it's so many people are not okay with failing, right? They think maybe they'll look stupid or, you know, if you have too many failures under your belt, you'll never be able to work again. I don't know. What, the big how, negative connotation around that word. Huge. And, you know, it's something I, as I mentioned earlier, my dad was a frustrated entrepreneur, <laughs> an incredible company and, you know, product inside of a large company, but almost his own little company. And I think he really worried about going outside of a large company. I think the idea of being a startup back, you know, when I was a kid too, was, I mean, it was, there weren't as many as there are today. I mean, there was Ron Papil and then that was kind of it. I mean, it was not really, but I mean, those were the people that you really heard about as founders, but I think it's definitely, it's come a long way. And I think it's being okay with failing, I think is, is a superpower that not a lot of people talk about. For sure. So speaking of success, how do you define that word? What does the word success mean to you? You know, I think success is happiness and success. Probably the most successful thing I've done is created my family and been able to, you know, have a life that I love and that I'm passionate about. And obviously very proud of founding a company and building a great team that is instrumental to building out that company as as well. But I think so often people equate success with what they've done in business, right? Or or maybe what they've achieved in some way. And I think oftentimes the most successful things are really the things that don't necessarily have a measurement that is clear, right? It's not a financial situation. It's a it's really, it's love. It's, it's being needed. All of those kind of things yeah. are the best ways to equate success for me. Right. What was your dream job as a child? You know, I don't know if I really, it's, it's funny. I was talking to my kids about this the other day who are older now they're in college. I, I don't know if I was really serious about it, but I think I wanted to be an attorney only because my brother was an attorney at <laughs> law school. And I never thought I'd be in business primarily because my view of the business world was what my dad did. Yeah. And, I mean, I didn't even think what my mom was doing, even though it definitely was business. I mean, for me being in fashion was like, I don't know, it was like being around dresses. I mean, that was all nice and it was fine, but I didn't really view it as a business per se. Yeah. I felt like you had to go to school and go to graduate school of some sort in order to be professional. And <laughs> so I think if you would have asked me, you know, when I was 
even in college that I'd be early days of college, be an attorney, but then that switched over into journalism. I really want to write and, and be on the editorial side, which never ended up happening. Although I, I do write a lot still today because it's a passion of mine. Entrepreneur life is? Entrepreneur life is exciting educational can be unexpected <laughs> to, um, say the least. to say the least and rewarding what is one thing that you know now that you wish you had known when you started your entrepreneurial journey i think that you'll have a lot of doubters that they'll tend to come around when you have your own doubts inside your your head you're I think most people are great at asking questions that sort of show your hand right? Yeah. in terms of you're wondering about something and maybe it's really something that you doubt. But I think more than anything, you have to know that the most important thing to do is to go try. And if you don't try, then you're not going to be able to succeed And just the act of trying, you're going to learn something along the way, even if it doesn't work out. What would you say are the top three skills needed to be a successful entrepreneur? Top three skills, definitely curiosity, a willingness to show your vulnerability, right? That you're not always going to be perfect. Um, And I think also the ability to execute and build a team of people that really will follow and be helpful in building out what you've done. Is an unexpected blessing or occurrence in your life that you're grateful for, Kara? I would say hint, you know, that I didn't know that it would be where it is today. And I think it's it's an exciting time to be able to have a product that not only competes against some of the big beverage companies that you know about, but also acts as a really a tool to help people get healthy. And I think today, you know, if one good thing happened out of COVID, it's that people are paying more attention to getting and staying healthy than ever before. That's got to be exciting as hell for you to be competing against these big brand beverage companies that have been around for years and years, like like Coke and all of these other, like you're in competition with these brands. That's got to be exhilarating. Yeah. And, you know, I have to say too, coming from the tech industry into the beverage and CPG industry, it was just a very, very different mindset. In tech, I found that there were a lot more people who, even if they were at a competitor, people were kind of in it to some extent together. You knew not to, you know, in the case of America Online, I mean, we weren't going to go share trade secrets with Microsoft, but it it was very much like, hey, we're building this entire industry. And And when I walked into the beverage industry, I think that the most shocking thing for me was that people were, first of all, kind of Xing me out of the picture even before I had even hopped in to the picture just because based on my experience. But also, I didn't find that there was a whole lot of camaraderie that, that existed that, I mean, even today, you know, you meet people, for example, that work at, you know, Coca-Cola, it's very rare that you find people who have worked at Coke and at Pepsi. In the tech industry, people are switching around all the time. Right. I mean, you know, they'll stay at one tech company for a long time 
and then you know maybe they'll be recruited into another I mean that happens a lot or they'll go to a new startup or they'll start their own company but I just found like that was just really different from what I kind of had grown up in what do you do to keep yourself inspired every day and inspire others connecting with the consumer I think that having emails, listening in on customer service calls, connecting with people on social. I mean, I think today, if you are a leader who is not on social, for example, you have a huge missed opportunity to connect with your consumer. And it, in many ways, it's like better than a focus group because you're hearing from the consumer about what they think of the brand without actually telling you. They're just speaking, right? Yeah. Steve Jobs used to talk about this a lot. Don't ask the consumer what they think, right? Or what yeah. you do. What you need to do is put yourself into positions where they will actually tell you things and then you can interpret those things to solve problems. And I think that that's what I see across all of social and, and, you know, that being able to just have a relationship, have a people know that you're out there, that you're a part of a brand more and more. I think that leaders are trying to get that connection with consumers. And I think that there's so many ways to get that beyond even, you know, getting on a customer service call or getting an email from consumers, whether you're in a B2B company or B2C company. Yeah. Again, that goes back to that relatability issue and having a face mm-hmm. to you can connect with, connect the brand with. Like this is we hint water, we think, or hint incorporated, we think Kara. Kara is the face of hint and we can reach out to her. She responds. And that's so important for sure. Yeah, definitely. And I think that that is really, really important for people to see and brands going forward, certainly and and today is that you know, more and more, it's an easy opportunity for, for consumers to relate. It's not to say that they're not going to see it on the shelf or see advertising or, or, you know, anything, maybe product sampling, but I think being able to see what a face, what is the association with the brand? It, it rarely is a negative situation. Kara, what does the best version of you look like when you close your eyes and imagine it? The best version of me you know, I, I think, again, like creating and, and really doing something that is helping consumers to do something that maybe they didn't think was possible or achieve something that they had never really thought about before. I think that that to me is the best version of myself. Lastly, if you could go back and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be? One piece of advice. Um, I would say, know that to just get up and do what you're doing and enjoy what you're doing is such a positive influence on what your overall outlook is that if you just keep doing that, life works out. And I think that that's an important piece for everybody to learn. I love it. Kara, thank you so very much for taking the time to be here today and share your story and your journey with us. I am so honored and proud to have been able to have sat down with you and learned more about you and your journey and for you being part of the Empowerography community. I appreciate you taking the time to be here today. Thank you. I enjoyed being here too. 
Once again, my name is Brad Walsh, host of your Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest has been Kara Golden. She is an author and the founder of Hint Incorporated. Thank you so much, Kara. I hope you have an amazing rest of the day. Thank you. You too. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't yet, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share with all your friends. You can find me at visuphoria.ca, follow me on Instagram at Empowerography Podcast, and on Facebook at Empowerography. Please join me next time for another inspirational story from yet another amazing woman.